0: Well, good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day to all mothers, whether biological, foster, adoptive, and surrogate. Uh, Goodness, the role that you play in our lives, in our homes, uh, and in our society is irreplaceable, and it's often sadly overlooked, underestimated, but your loving care is a clear display of the great love of our God, and so today we honor And we bless you, and we do hope to see you at our churro crawl, as I'm calling it. Uh, So, yeah, hopefully we'll see you a little later today. So, last week we began a new series that we're calling Essential Church. And the idea is that at this moment, many of us are really despairing and lamenting the loss of what the church Um, had become in the West, you know, we usually think of churches, large gatherings on Sunday mornings. We think about, you know, exciting, dynamic corporate worship. We think about Sunday school and maybe even uh, thoughts of being a child and going to Sunday school. And, And right now we've lost all of that. Like what the church was to us is completely gone in that sense. But I think that this affords us an incredible opportunity for renewal. It gives us this incredible opportunity now to ask ourselves questions like, well, what is the church really? And what is essential to the church? Is this large gathering on Sunday morning essential to the church? Is corporate worship in the way of loud guitars and this and that actually essential to what it means to be God's people, this spirit-filled community of God? And I believe that we can, if we are willing, if we are flexible, that we can actually come through this season more fruitful. We can come through this season. uh, It can be a renewal process for the church. We can come out of this, the other side, more vibrant and more fruitful than the church has been in years. And we believe that we do that. How do we... uh, Remain flexible? How are we fruitful? How do we find renewal? We really think the way to find renewal for us in this season is actually by going backwards. The way forward is by first going backwards. And what I mean by that is by going back to the beginning of the church. When we look at the early church, you know, they didn't have large buildings to meet in, it was actually for many years illegal to meet. Um, in large congregations, they met house to house uh, they didn 't have Sunday school. they had family gatherings they had everything was centered around a meal so it 's so good for us to kind of go back and just look at what was essential to the life of the early church and therefore come back and say, so then what is essential to the life of the church now?" and what we find in Acts 2:42 through 47 is that the church we talked about this last week and made a liturgy that is a habit and practice of devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And throughout the ages, this has been a constant liturgy of the church, though the manifestation might have taken different shapes or forms over the centuries. But by practicing this liturgy and centering their lives on these essentials, the early church was able to continually adapt Being both flexible and fruitful amidst the constant changes that they face, whether those were growth dynamics, politics and persecution, or the leading of the spirit into new ventures. So what we've decided to do is to spend these next four weeks looking at their liturgy, the things that they habitually observed and practiced together. So the Apostles' Doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so this morning we're going to be looking and just talking just briefly about the Apostles' Doctrine. So that's the first one in line. So what does a liturgy of the Apostles' Doctrine look like? Well, I think first it's good to kind of revisit Uh, a term like that. Apostles' doctrine can kind of become a suitcase that we bang people over the head with, right? Like orthodoxy. Like, we're just like, oh yeah, are you orthodox? Is this orthodox? Like, well, what do we actually mean by that? So what do we mean when we say the apostles' doctrine? Well, I think simply put, the apostles' doctrine is what we have written down in the New Testament. It's the Jesus story. It's the gospel. It's the fulfillment of God's promise to bring about his kingdom as he promised to do so long ago, even in the early chapters of Genesis. The apostles then were telling and retelling the early church, the Jesus story again and again. And this has kind of become a favorite thing for me to kind of see each of these uh, liturgical habits of the church in the framework of Jesus. So the Jesus story, the Jesus life, the Jesus sacrifice, the Jesus prayer. I I think Jesus was so central to the early church. And when we think about apostles' doctrine, sometimes it can be kind of this clunky, uh, maybe restrictive term to us, doctrine, doctrine. We can think about like line upon line. We can think about bullet points and things like that. But really what it was, it was the story of Jesus, I would imagine the early church gathering together and say, like, Peter, tell us again how he opened their eyes. Peter, tell us again about Jairus. And tell us again about the story of, of, of his daughter being raised from the dead. Tell us again about the compassion of Jesus to forgive sinners. Tell us again about how he brought the outcasts in and how he made them whole, how he gave them a seat at his table. And I think when we look at the early church, this is what they were about. They were about the story of Jesus. They were teaching all that Jesus had taught them about how all that was written in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, just like we read, all of that was actually the story of Jesus. It finds its climax and its apex in him. And they were reading the Old Testament in a Christocentric way, Jesus as the main character and hero of the storyline. They were talking about how The kingdom had been brought about through him and how all the promises of God were fulfilled by him and available only through him. About how he was the Lord, the cosmic Lord of history. And they were talking about the call and mission to get the message out to let all people know about the risen Jesus. Of course, they would also taught what the Jesus story meant practically for their lives in this new community. We'll talk more about that next week. But it seems to me that the early church was obsessed with Jesus. They were in awe of him. He was their hero. He was the one that they, when they would gather together, small talk was about Jesus. It was about the Jesus story. Their hearts had been so moved by Jesus and by what he had done for the world, what he had done for them personally, they couldn't get enough of it. And I think we see this in this story on the road to Emmaus. I, I just, this is one of, probably one of my favorite stories in scripture. Can you even imagine being one of these two disciples? Walking on the road, just your whole world has fallen apart. All of your hopes and dreams have been dashed in a day and your are contemplating and wrestling with all these things, and up walks Jesus. Of course, he's hidden from their eyes, And as they tell him their woes, Jesus begins to unfold for them how the Messiah is the key to the story of God. And not just the story of God, but the story of the world. Remember what he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It was necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them... In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus shows himself here as basically the apex of biblical history, and we would say the history of the world. Jesus fulfills the grand narrative of scripture and histories, and so disciples of Jesus will see scripture and its narrative as a road map for our lives, but I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a second thing here. It says that After Jesus disappears, it says they turn and said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scripture? I Think about here as Jesus places himself as the apex and the fulfillment of the story of the world. This retelling of history deeply resonates with the hearts and longings of these two men. And you know what? I, I believe that that is true for every single person. The gospel of God deeply resonates with the longings of humanity. I'll give one example because we don't have time for more than that. But I have performed many funerals being a pastor. And something that is very common to every funeral is the fact that it doesn't matter how young someone is, how old they are, how well they lived, how terribly they lived, we mourn the death of the individual. We say, oh, it's tragic that that, that life is so short, this shouldn't happen. And you know what? The Bible actually resonates with that and says, yes, death was never meant to happen. It is an intruder into God's good creation. And guess what? In Christ, God has defeated death and he has come out the other side and he is leading us into a new creation where death will be no more. It will be removed. It will be done away with. See, the story of God is fulfilled in Jesus' resonates with the deep longings of every single individual. And that's what we see happening here with these two disciples. The story of God as fulfilled in Jesus deeply resonating with them. They wanted to know more. They wanted to hear it again and again and to find their soul identity in it. Now, as I said a minute ago, disciples of Jesus... See scripture and its narrative then as a roadmap for our lives. As I said, when it deeply resonates with us in this way, it's the story, capital T, capital S, the story, the metanarrative or worldview for followers of Jesus. It's the redemptive roadmap and lens through which we see and engage the world. So if I, as, I, as we said last week, that liturgy, is something that is done by me for us or is done by us and for us, then I believe a liturgy of the Jesus story would be our continual practice of telling and retelling this story. Be telling and retelling the story to ourselves, of course, and to one another. You know, it's funny because I think sometimes it might be assumed that, pastors, Bible teachers, you know, just kind of live this stuff kind of second nature. Like it just comes naturally to us. You know, so often I find myself having to preach to myself what I preach to you. So a couple weeks ago when we were going through, I believe, uh, Psalm 13, it was so funny because I had taught it and then Monday hit and I was going through so much and you know what I had to do? I actually had to walk back through my study and preach to myself what I had preached to you the previous day. My soul, how long, O Lord, and crying out, bringing my, my lament, bringing my sorrow to God, and casting my cares upon him. I had to do that. See, this is what is required for Jesus' followers. We need to preach to ourselves... The story of God. We need to remind ourselves of this grand story that this is the framework through which we should see, or this is the lens through which we should see the world. But we're also called to do this to one another, to see and bring everything in our lives through the filter of the life of Jesus. Jesus' life, of course, becomes the pattern for our lives. For followers of Jesus, He is, as He said in the Gospel of John, the way. He's the roadmap. He's the truth. He's the one. We we filter everything through him. Does this come in line with what Jesus taught and what he said about himself, what he said about the kingdom of God? Or is this in conflict with this? And he is the life. Whatever I'm looking for in the world, whatever I think is going to satisfy me, if it is apart from God, if it is outside of him, it is something that he has forbidden. No, then I've got to bring that into line with Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. And by telling myself this story and by us telling it to one another, we bring ourselves in line again and again with the story of God and with the mission of God. And this is what the early church did. They allowed it to inform the whole of their lives. So then the Jesus story becomes our center. It becomes our baseline that we pattern our lives according to. So let me just say then a few things that that would mean for us too. It means that we measure failure and success by the story of God and not as measured by our cultural measurements and values. We find this again and again in Scripture. For the things that are valued by humans are actually in conflict with the good things of God. That we judge by the eyes, but God judges by the heart. See, so often we are living out basically the narrative of our culture and the values of our culture. But as Jesus' people... We use the story of Jesus as our baseline to measure failure and success. It also means we have joy, peace, and hopefulness in the midst of whatever life throws at us because, because of Jesus, our future is glory in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what you're reading right now on the news, but everything out there is doom and gloom. And there's all these conspiracy theories now about how the world is, you know, just going to be, you know, under hostile takeover, maybe already is, and all these things. And you know what? Sometimes, Christians, we can get wrapped up in all this stuff, and especially if you've got a you know, prophecy chart type of eschatology, and you're trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, and when the you know, tribulation is coming, and all that kind of stuff. I feel like this just brings so much confusion. We know the end of the story. What is that? Oh, he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. That is the end of the story of history. And then we enter into the kingdom of God, where we will be with him forevermore. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We will rule and reign over a whole creation with him. Don't forget the storyline. Don't forget how it ends. It's not going to end in some, you know, like nuclear fallout, some post-apocalyptic kind of scene. That's not how the story ends. No, our God controls the narrative, and he is the one who is seated on the throne, and he is the one who says when it's over and he will usher us into that new creation. I think this it's just so important for us again that Jesus story becomes our center and baseline. It also means though we can make sense of suffering now because it is the same path that Jesus took. He is the king, he is the shepherd, he is the federal head of God's people. And so we should not think that our lives would be different than his. Uh, and we're reminded of this again and again in the New Testament. You, you, church, don't think that some strange thing is happening to you, but this is the experience of all followers of Jesus to suffer. And through suffering, to know Christ better, to know his journey, to know his burden, to know his passion for the kingdom of God, to know his passion for this world. When we use the Jesus story as our center and baseline, it makes helps make sense of our suffering because Jesus takes the same path and we know that it builds character. We know that it prepares us to rule and reign with Christ and it will ultimately culminate in glory. To be devoted then to the apostles' doctrine is to make this the number one source of truth and information and influence over your life it needs to become so central to us. And that's why we're talking about a liturgy. We're talking about a habit. We're talking about something that we return to again and again and again until it is second nature, until we just naturally see the world this way. We see the world through the Jesus lens, through the Jesus story. Sadly, though, for many of us, that just simply isn't true. Jesus is not our hero. The biblical story doesn't thrill us or bring us hope. Quite the opposite, in fact. Michael Goheen, in his book, The Church and Its Vocation, he says this, The Western story of progress by way of science, technology, and the construction of a rational society is assumed to be the true story of our culture. The problem is, That Christians who have embraced Christ have allowed themselves to be drawn into the Western story as their ultimate allegiance. And, like their unbelieving neighbors, have made peace with the relegation of their faith to the realm of values. This is a misunderstanding of Scripture and the church's abandonment of its vocation to live in the midst of history as a witness to the true story of the world. Our calling as the church is not just to center our lives on the Jesus story, but to live it out as a witness to the rest of the world that this is the true story of the world, the Jesus story, that this is where all things are headed. But sadly, for many of us, we have more joy and anticipation over the next Netflix release than we do the Jesus story. Just it's just true like we're we're more excited to binge watch star wars on may the 4th and make that a priority and find out all the minutiae of like how ray might be a skywalker and blah 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 blah, all this kind of stuff rather than like looking at jesus and seeing how the law and the prophets and the psalms are fulfilled by him when was the last time we did something like that we went on just a jesus wormhole right can i get an amen guess not uh but, like, we have more hope in the end of the shelter in place than we do the kingdom of God. That's what we're looking to. That's what we're hoping and that we can just get back to normal. But, and this is from Leslie Newbegin, he says, if it really is true that God has done what the gospel tells us that he has done, that he has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, that he has made the way that is dark and unclear known through his own death and resurrection and the bringing in of the kingdom of God, it must, he says, it necessarily must become the starting point and controlling reality of all thought. That is the gospel truth. If Jesus is who the scripture says he is, then, church, we must center our lives on his story. It must become the guiding narrative of our lives. And in order to rediscover our calling and identity, we need to be a people shaped by this story. And I believe that the only way that will happen is if we make a habit of telling and retelling the story to ourselves and to one another. That we make this as an essential part of our church liturgy. That when we gather, whether it's a large or small gathering, whether it's church leadership is there or not to lead and guide things, that we are a people that tell and retell the story of Jesus to one another. This is what we do. We bring everything back to the Jesus story. We bring our lives and how we're feeling, our depression, our fears, our anger, our hopes, our dreams. We bring them back to the Jesus story. Is this lining up with following Jesus? Is this honoring him? Is this... you? Know, being used to, to worship him and to fulfill his mission here on earth. We need to disciple one another in this story so that our lives are shaped by it in order to be sent out as witnesses to this true story of the world. So church, as we slowly make our way back to normal, whatever that looks like, and as we have opportunity to meet in smaller groups, turn to bigger groups, let's determine now to be a church that uses the gospel to disciple one another. In the random meetups we have, the phone check-ins, the random FaceTime or Zoom call, and and not that we're doing this in some strange, boxy, inauthentic, Christianese type of way, like, have you been leaving out the gospel lately? Uh, How how are you walking in the fullness of God's plan for your life. Like, we just, like, be yourself. But I would say, take yourself and immerse yourself in the story of God, in the story of Jesus. Do it in sincerity. Do it as your authentic self. Because if we truly believe that this is the story of the world, that we will, we will want to pattern our lives accordingly, so that we can live the most human, blessed, flourishing, and purposeful existence this life has to offer, and that we would want this for one another. And we would want this for our city, for our neighbors, for our employer and our employees. And so, church, I exhort you now, immerse yourself in these days in the story of God. Pick up the gospel and be reading through it. Read through that story. Read through the book of Acts in this time. And just see how the church delighted in the Jesus story. And begin to bring your life in line with that story. And as we see one another, maybe even today, that we would... Bring one another in line with that story of God as fulfilled in Jesus. So, Lord, we pray, God, that you, Holy Spirit, would draw us in. Uh, Lord, it's not just us grabbing the Scripture and picking it up, but it is also the illumination of the Holy Spirit. I think about how Cleopas and the other disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the Scripture? Lord, would you do that by your Holy Spirit? Would you engage with our hearts? Would you reveal to us that this is the true story of the world? Lord, would we surrender, Lord, what we have been investing in, what we have been seeking, what we have been finding joy or hope in, Lord, would we lay that down to take up the story of Jesus and the story of God and to make it our own? Lead us, Lord, into good paths. Show us your way, Lord. So we commit ourselves and we commit this word to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.